Good morning, everybody. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Give it up for our band, y'all. You know, one of the questions that at some point in life you will ask yourself is, if God is all-knowing, that God is not bound by time, that God knows what is going to happen, and if God is also simultaneously all-powerful, that God can create something out of nothing, and if God is all-loving, then why does evil and suffering exist? One of the questions that probably plagues more people and is one of the biggest problems to people's faith is just that. You don't have to do much to see evil and suffering all around, you, all around us. All you need to do is turn on the news or scroll on social media, and you'll see death and destruction in Israel and Gaza, civil war in Sudan, and everywhere you look, there's so much loss. We're inundated with so much, it's almost too much to take sometimes. So much pain, so many sick people, so much domestic violence, and unfortunately, the list goes on and on and on and on. And for many people, the biggest barrier to their faith, the biggest thing that is standing between them and what they can ever imagine is a vibrant relationship with Jesus, is how can this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God allow this to exist? And not just the pain out there, but the pain in here. You know, this is why we're doing this series on walking with God through pain and suffering, because we really believe that it is vital that our faith is able to navigate this major question. Now, it doesn't do anybody any favors to dance around the most difficult questions in life. And today, hopefully, with some grace, we're going to walk through that uh, together today. Now, as I look out in this room, I, I know that I don't know the stories but I know for certain that many of you have had to live through a lot of painful moments where you've questioned, how could a good God be allowing this? For some of you, it's not just the pain in the past, but it's the pain in the present. And the hits keep on coming. And if God is good, and if he's loving, and if he's all-knowing, if he's powerful, then why is he allowing this to happen in your life? Uh, this is probably the biggest question in my life uh, a number of years ago. I've mentioned it before, my wife and I are both widowed, and my late wife, uh, Danielle, uh, we got married in 2009, and, and this, is, this is Danny. And uh, we got married in 2009 in, in Baltimore, and about 10 months after we got married, uh, she got really sick out of nowhere, so sick that she couldn't even walk up a flight of stairs. Took her to the hospital, and about a week later, we found ourselves being rushed to Columbia for an emergency heart surgery uh, so severe that she almost died on the operating table. When the doctor came out of the operating room, I thought that we lost her in that moment. He looked so frightened that what he had seen in her chest, he had never seen before. The next week, we realized that she had an inoperable and incurable tumor, and the doctors didn't even think we would make it out the hospital. I knew it was bad, when they gave us access to this one suite of the hospital, this one part, that on top of the regular fees, it's an additional $1,000 a night where they have like a, a guest room and you could order filet mignon and whatever you want, and they just let us stay there for free. And that's when I knew it was really bad. 
Now, after she was diagnosed, I had really one simple prayer to God. God, this is the worst thing imaginable, but please, please do not make her suffer unnecessarily. And for the next 10 months, I, have, I had what basically felt like a front row seat to God not answering that prayer. The day that she died, uh, I drove her to the hospital. She wasn't feeling well that morning. And even though we had an appointment the next day, I said, you know what, let's just get to the hospital a day early. We walked to the hospital, we walked to the car, and uh, the, the, the drive to Columbia, she laughed at my corny jokes for most of the ride. And I turned to her as soon as we pulled up in front of the ER, and I looked over, she wasn't breathing. And I had to carry her lifeless body into the ER, screaming like a crazy person. And I watched the doctors cut off her clothes and start to work on her. And really, for the next five minutes, I watched my absolute worst nightmare unfold. And here's what messed me up for so many months after that. God, you couldn't just give me five more minutes. That's all I needed. Isn't it bad enough that you let me that you made me sit front row to watch my worst nightmare unfold. You couldn't give me five minutes to wheel her into the hospital so that I wouldn't have to live through my nightmare. That's all I was asking for. I had done everything that I thought to do. We had set up prayers and we prayed for her and I lived my life trying to honor God with everything within me and this is the repayment that God gives me. He didn't answer my prayers and it felt like God was shoving my nose in it. Now for many of you, you have experienced in life what may feel like extreme cruelty by God, that you've been through real abuse in your life, physical, emotional, or sexual, and you prayed. You really prayed for it to stop, and it didn't. For some of you, you went through real neglect. You were born into a home where your parents did not love you. They did not treat you with kindness, and this was decades. Other people have a warm, and, warm and, 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 and fond relationship with their parents, but not you. For others of you, it's just different losses that you've had to experience where you felt pain and God has felt absent. Now, your prayer, your hang-up might not be about five minutes. It might be about something else. But at some point in life, we have to be adults and ask the hard questions. God, why would you do that? Why would you allow that? And yet I turn to the pages in Scripture and see that you're called the God of love. I'm called to trust you. Now, I say that part of the story not to make you feel uh, bad for me, um, but just to let you know that today we're going to be talking about something, and I'm not going to drop any cliches on you. I'm not going to drop something that just feels convenient like some preacher on a stage should say. I never thought that I'd be on a stage as a pastor or a preacher talking about God after what he's done to me, what he allowed happen in my life. You know, and it's actually not... Ha ha funny, but kind of funny. Uh, some of the things that people said to me, Christians said to me after, made me even want to run away from God even more. In the kitchen, in my kitchen, in my, in my apartment after uh, the funeral and the repast, uh, one of the deacons from a church in the neighborhood came over and he got me cornered up in the kitchen. He said, you know what? God just needed another angel. So he took Danielle. I said, yeah, I wish God killed you instead. <laughs> I didn't say it. I didn't say it. I thought that. I thought it, but uh, I didn't say it. And I still think it. No, I'm kidding. Uh-uh. 
So why does evil and suffering exist? The simple answer is that we live in a broken and sinful world, which means that this world will never resemble the fullness of what God intended it to be. But that's not going to help you when you're the one struggling with the weight of suffering in life. So with your permission, I actually want to direct us to a different question. Not that I want to evade why does it exist, but I actually don't think that that answer would help you even if I could answer it well. I want to turn us to a different question, which is not why does evil and suffering exist, but I think the question that the Bible is very interested in answering is how can you persevere through evil and suffering? How could you come out on the other side? How could suffering not destroy you? That is a question that Scripture repeatedly and very well actually answers over and over again. Now, the question about why suffering happens and why it exists, to a certain extent, I think that reason that question is wrong is because we are finite beings. And finite doesn't just mean that one day our lives will end, but it also means that there is a limit to what we can fully understand and comprehend in this world. So God is more interested, God is more interested in showing you how to persevere through pain and suffering than God is to answer why it exists. And this is how God answers us. This is how God shows us. God doesn't drop down from the sky a set of instructions. Scripture makes some audacious claims that God himself comes down in the person of Jesus and God shows us how to persevere through evil and suffering. That scripture shows us that our God is not a professor that wants to give you a lecture on how to persevere, but he is a sufferer that will put out his nail-pierced hands and will show you how to persevere through suffering. This is the invitation from Jesus, to put your hand in the nail-pierced hands of Jesus and allow him to walk you through the valley of the shadow of death. John 1 talks about this audacious claim that God himself is into the world in Jesus. Here's what John says. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, Jesus, not one thing was created that has been created. The word became flesh and dwelt or lived among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so God can answer our problem of how to deal with evil and suffering as a fellow sufferer. Here's what brought me back from the brink of walking away from the faith. Here's what brought me back. It was not a sermon on uh, what God was going to do in my life. I didn't care what God was going to do in my life. What brought me back from the brink of walking away from faith was knowing that God is a sufferer. Jesus is a suffering savior. That he's fully acquaint he was fully acquainted with all types of pain and suffering. And he came out on the other side. Hebrews 12 tells us this, that you and I need to keep our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And here's the instruction that the writer of Hebrews tells us to do. He tells us to consider him, for you to consider Jesus. Think about Jesus when you're going through your own difficulties Consider Jesus who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Here's why the writer tells us to do this. 
so that you will not grow weary and give up. So how I want us to spend the rest of our time today considering Jesus and um, so that we do not grow weary and give up in our time of pain and challenge. So Jesus is more than an example to us, um, but as we open the page of Scripture, we will find uh, Jesus' life as something that he invites us to follow. So Matthew 26, we're going to spend the rest of our time in a portion of Scripture which, which talks about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane is a place, and it's the place where Jesus is wrestling with this pain and suffering, not from a theological concept, but something that is coming his way to his own life. Here's how the words of Scripture read. It says, Then Jesus came to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and two of the sons of Zebedee, Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, Bro, you couldn't stay awake with me for one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, Jesus went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he again, he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. And so the imagery that Jesus uses here in the Garden of Gethsemane is he talks about pain and suffering through this concept of a cup. Now, inside of this cup was suffering. Jesus is talking about this cup, and his, inside of this cup, Jesus is taking a peek into what is about to happen to him. Inside of this cup is him being mocked and spit on. Inside of this cup is him being beaten. Inside of this cup is him carrying a wooden cross up a hill. Inside of this cup is his slow asphyxiation. Inside of this cup is him being naked on a cross, mocked. And Jesus sees everything inside of this cup. Jesus is taking a look inside of it. He sees the full nature of ugliness. Jesus knows what the cup of suffering looks like first and foremost. And so Jesus shows us how to navigate through pain and suffering. How do you face it? How do you live in such a way that you can come out on the other side? First and foremost, we need to grieve honestly. We need to grieve honestly. Look at verses 37 and 38. Verse 38, it says, He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Listen, there is no greater disaster in the spiritual life than for you to be immersed in unreality. The fact, the true spiritual life is not an escape from reality, but it is an absolute commitment to it. Jesus felt the full weight of his feelings. 
I'll say that again. Jesus did not turn away from his pain. He turned towards his pain. And he says these words that he is deeply grieved to the point of death. Now, there's another part of Scripture in Luke 22 where Luke says, as Luke gives the gospel, it, it says that Jesus is, is sweating drops of blood. He is in such agony. He is in such agony. He's allowing himself to feel the full weight of what's happening to that degree. And one of the biggest challenges that we have is we do not allow ourselves to grieve honestly. One of my favorite quotes from a pastor mentor of mine says, unprocessed emotions don't die, they just get buried alive. And many of us, when we encounter difficulty in life, we don't allow ourselves to grieve honestly. We don't allow ourselves to feel the real feelings that are going on in our life. And I want you to listen to this. Whenever we don't process the full weight of the things that are going on in our life, the sadness, the fear, the anger that we have in our life, they will always resurface and leak out in other places. Following Jesus faithfully, listen, it's radical to follow Jesus. It is like really radical to follow Jesus. And for some of you, Jesus is not calling you to be a missionary in Singapore. Jesus is calling you to follow him into your feelings of sadness. Jesus is not calling us to go to a distant land, but he is calling us to follow him to feel our feelings. But you know what? We have all sorts of defense mechanisms set in place to avoid us actually feeling the full weight of our feelings. For many of us, it's through denial. We pretend that we just don't feel certain emotions. For me, I grew up thinking that it was weak to be sad. It was absolutely weak and it was pointless to be sad, so I did not allow myself to feel sad. I pushed down sadness until I didn't even feel it anymore. And I denied it by just allowing myself to be angry all the time. Bell Hooks once said that anger is the best hiding place for any man looking to conceal his pain, sadness, and anguish. And I found anger to be a phenomenal hiding place. And for decades, I did not allow myself to feel sadness. I did not allow myself to feel fearful, and I would just stuff it over to anger. And by stuffing down my real feelings of sadness, I wasn't allowing myself to be truly free. Many of us, um, after George Floyd was murdered, were rightfully angry. But my anger lasted for months. And I was talking to a friend of mine who's a psychotherapist, and she said, Jordan, I mean, the anger at a certain point needs to subside. And chronic anger is actually a sign that you're not processing other emotions. You know what I didn't give myself permission to feel? I didn't want to even admit that deep down inside I was afraid. I was afraid that something would happen to my boys one day. I was afraid that something would happen to me that would prevent me from raising my boys. But instead of admitting that I was afraid, I was angry because anger is a good hiding place. For some of us, we don't deny it. We over-spiritualize it. Jesus, here in this text, if anybody could have spiritualized suffering, it would have been Jesus. Jesus could have said, he could have been there with his disciples and saying, I know that suffering is about to happen, but guess what's on the other side? My, 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 my. <laughs> the salvation of the world. He doesn't do that. Christians are so spiritual we over-spiritualize everything. We over-spiritualize things to the point of not feeling it. The first place for you to go. At some point, we'll talk about what it means to place your faith in Jesus and to trust him. We'll get there. But not before we allow ourselves to feel the full weight of our feelings. 
Others of us, we don't over-spiritualize it. We intellectualize it. We give analysis and theories and generalities to avoid personal awareness and difficult feelings. My situation is bad, but it's not as bad as someone else, you know? I'm still grateful for all the other things that I have in my life. We just don't allow ourselves to feel it. And others of us, we, um, we distract ourselves. Alcohol, Netflix, casual relationships. Others of us distract ourselves by helping other people, all in the name of avoiding actually feeling the feelings. Here's the thing I've learned about feeling difficult emotions, particularly sadness and fear. That right now, some of you think to yourself, if I were to actually think about what happened to me or think about what's going on in my life, I would never emerge from the pit of sadness that I would be in. And it feels impossible for you to get out of it, but that's not true. Here's what I've learned over the years. Things that we need to do in life might be difficult at first, but if you keep doing it, it gets easier over time. 1999, my brother uh, was going to college, and it's me and my older brother. He's uh, two grades above me. And I'll never forget the drive down to Delaware State to drop him off to school. Um, the whole ride was full of anticipation. And we got, to the, we got to his dorm, and we were there in his dorm room for like an hour setting up the room. My mother was there, like, turning the lamps around over and over again. Nobody wanted to leave. Finally, we left. My brother said, I guess this is goodbye. We all turned around and walked one mile an hour back to the car. <laughs> and for three hours, we didn't turn the radio on, no OJs, Supremes, nothing. No, it was a silent ride back to New York, and everybody was sad and trying to hide their tears. When it was time to drop me off in college two years later, we got to college, my father was like, Gail, Gail, leave the boy alone. All right, we're leaving. We're going to Olive Garden. I went to go, I went to go put my shoes on. He was like, oh, you're not coming with us. <laughs> they went to enjoy the endless breadsticks and salad by themselves. Now, the reason it was easier for them to, to leave me and just drop me high and dry, one of two reasons. One, they love my brother more than they love me. I'll explore that this week with my therapist. Or two, difficult things become easier when you do them over and over again. You know what? Here's how I've allowed myself to do it. I'll set a timer. I'll set a timer. And for five minutes, I will prayerfully and slowly before the Lord, I will bring to the Lord, what am I really angry about? And then I'll move on from anger to sadness. Another five minutes. I say, Lord, what am I sad about? And prayerfully before the Lord, I will pour out my sadness. Now, I'm always afraid that when I do this, I'm going to just stay there. I'm going to be in this pit. And every single time, I emerge feeling lighter and more free. Why is that? Because Scripture wants us to pray through our pain. That's the third point. Scripture is inviting you to pray through your pain. Not to pray around your pain, but to pray through your pain. Here's what we see in the Scripture in verse 38. Jesus said to his friends, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. So the first part of the prayer that Jesus is doing here, of praying through his pain, is this. The first part is to uh, try to avoid the pain. You are not more holy than Jesus. You shouldn't try to be. So if you can avoid the pain that you are in, we just sang the song a little while ago, 
that God is more than able. God does the miraculous. And the first part of your prayers should be to avoid suffering and pain, to not just think that it's inevitable to happen in your life. I know what the obstacles are, even if the odds don't look good. I've seen this happen over and over again in people's lives. Tears of real sadness turn to tears of joy and celebration. I have seen God move in other people's lives. I've seen God move in my life. So the first thing you need to pray is for God to remove the pain. Philippians 2 and 27, written by a man named Paul, Paul says these words. He's talking about his friend Epaphroditus, who was really, really sick. He says, indeed, he, Epaphroditus, was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul is testifying here, y'all. He's saying God answered his prayers. God spared him from sorrow upon sorrow. And the first part of this prayer that Jesus is praying for the cup to pass, if it's possible, that should be our prayer as well. However, for many of us, the pain has already happened. And unfortunately, there is no undoing it. So what do we learn from Jesus' prayer? I think first and foremost, we learn that we can come to God messy and repeatedly. One of the reasons that prayer is so difficult when we're going through difficult times is because we're not honest. We're not praying honest prayers. And we pray, dear Lord, I thank you so much for this day. No, you don't. (laughs) Do you really thank God for this day? Are you really grateful? Is that what's pouring out of your heart, gratitude? Or is this just, just the type of holy thing that you think you need to say in order to reach God? Because Jesus prayed honestly. All throughout Scripture, men and women, when they were confronted with their suffering, they did not sugarcoat their prayers. The Psalms are full of people yelling at God, where where are you? Why do you stand so far off? Answer me. Job says these words after the Lord took away his family. He says, may the day I was born perish, and the night that said the boy is conceived. If only that day turned to darkness, may God not care about it or light shine on it? Why was I not stillborn? Why didn't I die as I came out of the womb? One bold message from the book of Job is this. You can say anything to God, and he does not cease to be God. And many of us struggle to pray after we've gone through difficult times because we're not praying honestly. The Lord wants to free you. The Lord wants to meet you honestly. The Lord wants you to feel like you can weigh the full weight of your life on, his, on him. And if you and I are going to be people who navigate through pain and suffering, we need to pay, pray through our pain. And not just one time, but to come to God repeatedly. We see in the scripture that over and over and over again, three times it says in scripture, Jesus returned to prayer. And for many of you, what you need to do today is to pray the same thing again and again. That's the most Christ-like thing you can do, is to bring your anguish to God over and over and over and over again. The third thing we see in this text that Jesus models for us is that Jesus vulnerably asked for help from his community. So Jesus had 12 disciples, and uh, Peter, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee, were his inner circle of people. And it says, taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. So one, he shows to them that he's struggling. He's not sugarcoating it. And then he said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. 
remain here, please, and stay awake with me. What Jesus does is he asks his community for help. And what we do, whenever we're going through difficult times, one, we're not honest with God, we're not honest with ourselves, and we're definitely not honest with other people. We want other people to know how bad we're struggling without us having to say anything. And I think a part of it is, I think that we fear that if we actually were to tell the truth, people would think that we're weird. What Jesus says is, is intense. How am I doing? I am deeply grieved to the point of death. If someone were to say that to you in your DNA group, you would just email Lester, like, yo, <laughs> we need to get her out. We need to get in somebody else in this group. She's struggling. Do your Christian community, are you a safe person for people to, to be messy, to have jagged edges? See, one of the biggest challenges, my boy Rich Perez talked about this a couple of weeks ago um, on this book tour we go on. He said, what you can provide to people when you allow them to have their jagged edges and not risk losing relationship with you is a gift beyond measure. Where people can show up and just be exactly, precisely where they are without risking losing your relationship with them. Now, none of us have a hundred relationships like this, but we need a couple. A couple of people who we can actually turn to with the fullness of our life. You know what else I love about this text? It also tells us the people that we go to and help are going to let us down. Not that they want to. They don't want to let you down. But Jesus' disciples, he's telling them, like, yo, couldn't you just stay awake? And every time he would come back, it says that he would find them asleep because they could not keep their eyes open. The people in your life that God is calling you to share vulnerably with, that you're struggling to reach out to them, to not ask them to read your mind, they still won't be everything for you. And that's okay. Let them take a little bit of the weight off of you and let them walk with you and forgive them when they don't meet the standard of God because Jesus' friends didn't meet the standard that he wanted them to meet either. But they're trying. And for those of you who are being that person to someone else who's going through a difficult time, we'll talk about this a little bit more next week. Show up for them as much as you can. Don't trample on their vulnerability. Going a little further, um, we see the last piece of this, what it means to persevere through pain and suffering. Jesus laid down his will for the Father's will. Now, the first three are, would take intentionality. This, this next last one is admittedly the most difficult. It's one thing to grieve honestly, to feel your feelings, to spend time before the Lord, laying out your fear, your sadness, uh, to share with other people what's going on in your life, to ask for help. But it is quite another thing to pray like Jesus says in verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. What Jesus does here is Jesus lays down his will for the Father's will. And this is not an easy thing to do. One of the things that I think about as being the most difficult thing is to maintain faith when God is not giving you your way. As Job says in Job 23.10, though he slay me, Yet will I trust him. That looks good on a bumper sticker. But when God is the one doing the slaying of my life, it's so hard to say, God, I'll still trust you. And so what I've realized in my own life, and this is what has worked for me, is I've had to pray the prayer that a man came to Jesus with in, in the book of Mark. 
there was a man in the book of Mark that came to Jesus. His son had epilepsy, constantly having seizures. The father is absolutely terrified. He goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, if you can do anything, please help my boy. And when I read those words in the scripture, I just, as a father, my heart just breaks. Jesus turns to the man and says, if I can do anything, all things are possible to those who believe. And then the man says these words, and these are the words, and I'm still a Christian to this day. He says, I believe, but help my unbelief. There's a part of me, for sure, I believe. But there's another part, a large part of me, that has a lot of unbelief. Is God really real? Will one day I regret actually trusting him? Jesus, I believe, but I need you to help my unbelief. So as you struggle to pray the prayer, Lord, not my will, but your will be done, I want you to add on to that as well. Lord, and I believe in you, but in the areas of my life that I'm still struggling to believe, I need you to help that. I need you to help me believe that you're with me when my life is screaming at me that I'm alone. I need you to believe, I need to believe that you're giving me strength, that you're going to strengthen me when I feel so weak. I believe, but help my unbelief. So for us, I also want you to walk by the faith, the little faith that you do have and might have in these moments. For me, after Danny died, I had just enough faith to not run away. I had just enough faith to come to church late and leave early. But I knew not to completely run away from Christian community. I had just enough faith to not cut off my Christian community. Oddly enough, the people with the least theological training were the most helpful to me because they didn't try to say things that were super deep. They just sat with me. They were just were with me. And so for you, I understand the impulse might be to run away until things get figured out. This happens all the time. People, I, they disappear for six months, and they come back six months later and say, yo, last six months was rough, but I'm better now. And they've gone through so much suffering, some of it needlessly, because they separated themselves. I understand the impulse to walk away from all things. But here's what I want you to do. Stay close to the community and stay close to the cross. You need to stay close to the community because there are times where the only faith that you will have will be borrowed. But it can still fit you. It won't be your own, but it'll get you through. It's not permanent. And also the, the community that will point, point you towards the cross Hebrews 12 and 2, let's go back to that, and we'll end on this one. To keep your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And here's what I want you to do as you consider your own life. Consider him who endured such hostility, our suffering Savior, from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. And so part of our rhythm of coming to church for worship is even to turn our eyes towards the cross, to sing songs of worship, to turn our eyes away from our situation, to turn our eyes upward, to look towards our glorious suffering Savior who knows what it feels like. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we got a, a message from our school, our boys' school, that we had to take them in to get shots in order to keep them uh, enrolled in school. And after having gone through COVID with the kids in the home, we comply. <laughs> and um, taking my, my sons to the doctors for shots is something that they absolutely hate. And what makes it worse 
is when they look at the needle. So instead of looking at the needle, I kept on telling them, just look at me. It's going to pierce you. It's going to hurt, but it's going to hurt more unless you, it's going to hurt more if you don't look at me. It's going to be unbearable for you if all you do is turn and look at the needle. But look at me. I've been pierced before. Here's what Jesus is inviting us to. He has been pierced before, and he's telling you to look at him. So would you rise with me right now, and we're going to have a moment of worship. And some of these words in the song are words that are, you're going to find difficult to, to sing and believe. And by faith, I want you to sing them anyway, that God would help you in your unbelief. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the example that you have lived for us. And Jesus, we ask you to help us in our time of need. We ask you to carry us through where we are weak on our own. We ask you to bring us through to the other side. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.